0: Some light thinking there, you know, not a great grand subject that we could spend the rest of our lives thinking about. Um, And I just handed you out, or Darby handed out to you actually a piece of paper and it says, Who's God? What is God like? What I'd love for you to do is just take a few seconds, take a few minutes, write down some attributes of God. What do you think about when you think God? And this isn't a test. Like you're not going to show this to anybody. I'm not going to come by and check your answers and be like, that's right, A plus, or that's wrong, C minus, you know. This is just for you. What do you think about when you think God? You Maybe you want to draw a picture. I know Darby's real visual. Maybe you're like me and you like words. But what comes in your mind? You're like angry, hateful, vengeful. Maybe you're like, he's a myth. He's just an idea. He's just like for people who didn't understand that we have science. And uh, they thought, volcanoes, that's God. Whatever you think. Just write down, what do you think of when you think of God? What does he like? How does he behave? What's his character? What's his nature? What comes into your mind when you think about God? How would God act? Who does he love? Who does he hate? Who does he get angry at? Who does he comfort? Now I heard about a, a seminary professor who did this essentially every time he started a new seminary class, he would hand out a piece of paper first and say, tell me about you. What are you like? What are your attributes? What are your characteristics? Who do you vote for? Who do you love? Who do you hate? What do you care about? And then he would collect those pieces of paper and he would hand them out a piece of paper and said, now tell me what God is like. And what he found was, those papers usually looked exactly the same. He said about 90% of the time, People wrote down that they thought God acted like they acted, behaved like they behaved, voted for and cared about the things that they cared about. And he said, what is obvious is that people walking into seminary many times have built an idea of God that just agrees with everything they already think. And I think that if we're honest, a lot of times we've developed an idea of God based around what we already think. And we're just like, he's just bigger and more powerful. But of course, he agrees with me because I'm right on everything. Voltaire, the philosopher, said God created mankind in his image, according to the Bible. And mankind has been returning the favor ever since, creating God in their minds, in their image. Essentially saying, starting to think about God um, based on how they think about themselves. And all of us sitting here and people watching online or people listening to the podcast, all of us have ideas about God that have been shaped by our nation of origin, by our language. We speak English, and so there's some concept that we only understand within English. Our families have helped us develop an idea of God, our friends, movies, and books, and podcasts, and culture, and music, and pastors, and priests, and rabbis, and churches, and schools, and theologians, and interactions with religious people we like, and religious people that we did not like. And all of these experiences have shaped our idea of God, but they've also tainted our idea of God. What we think about God has been both shaped and tainted by all these things. Now, um, something I do a lot of times as I'm preparing for a sermon is, I'll be out on, I'll be at work mopping a floor, or I'll be outside walking around and I'll have an idea and I'm like, oh, I should think about this later as I'm preparing a message. And so I'll tweet it, and Twitter is kind of like my running journal of my stream of consciousness ideas, and then later I rein them in and turn them into a message. And so I tweeted out some things this week about God, and I had a pastor friend begin to reply back. In fact, I've never got more replies than when I started talking about God this week. I had atheists saying things, and then I had a pastor friends saying things, and I'm like, "Wow, what I'm saying is making everybody unhappy." So I'm like, "That that's going to be fun to to uh, share with everybody this weekend." Um, but I had a pastor friend, and he wrote back to me, quoting a 16th century French reformer, correcting what I said about God in my tweet, because to him, God existed within the framework that this 16th century reformer gave him about who God is. And This theologian defined God for him, and what I was saying didn't fit that definition, and so he was correcting me with a quote by this guy. And maybe you don't have a 16th century theologian that defines your idea of God, but maybe you have experiences that have defined your idea about what God is like, or maybe you have a family that's defined your idea of what God is like. When you and I say God, everybody in this room has something different than racism. And so one of the central tenets of communication, my undergrad was in English, and it was all about communicating ideas to people. I was uh, in English writing, and uh, it was all about how can you get what you're thinking into someone else's hands so they understand it. And they said, this is a key tenet. Everybody has to be using the same terms So that we can end up agreeing about what we're saying. So they can understand what you're saying. We have to be talking about the same thing. But when anybody says God, something different is racing through the mind of everyone in this room. And everyone you meet, when you say God, they're not thinking exactly the same thing that you are. Can that, in just a small way, begin to help us understand why there's so much confusion about this idea of God. Why we see so many different religions and so many different churches. And there's just... Everyone's thinking something different when we say God. And if all of us got out our papers, some of us would have agreement and some of us would have disagreement. Because we're all thinking something different when you say God, when I say God. When you get into an Uber and your driver says they believe in God, it's more likely he's talking about someone different than what you mean. Much more likely that that that's the case rather than that he's talking about the same person.
1: Occasionally, someone
0: will say to me something like this. Belief in God has led to all the evils in the world. Maybe you've heard this. Maybe like a progressive friend of yours, or maybe someone who's just purely naturalistic. And they say, you know what? Look at all the evils in the world. It all comes back to religion. If we could just kill this myth of God, humanity would finally flourish. I heard a a British man um, this week on a podcast And he was talking about, he says, if we could just kill this idea of God, humanity would finally reach their full potential. These uh, type of folks usually point out how a belief in God led to the Crusades, and it did. And a belief in God led to genocides, and it has. And it's led to racism, and it has. And slavery, and it has. And sexism, and it has. And all kinds of injustices. And I agree to those things. An idea of God has led to all those things. But I don't think that it was... God is responsible for all those things. I believe a wrong belief in God led to all those things. My argument is that a wrong idea about God can lead to truly horrible things. And when we say God, not everybody is thinking the right thing. Not everyone is thinking the same thing. And that doesn't mean God is faulty, but that means that many times as humans, our concept of God is faulty. I had a person in this very church, they're not here today, but they said to me, how can a book that, as I read, it seems to be so much about a God of love, be used by my very family to spread so much hate? And the answer is, because people have an incomplete or wrong view of God. And they can have an idea of God where they use the same terms we are, and they act very differently as a result or in a, as an extension of what during our teaser video there at the beginning there's a quote by aW Tozer and Tozer in the full quote he says this when we think what we think about when we think about God is the most important thing about us because by secret law of the soul we all become like what we believe God is so your idea of God right wrong incomplete broken, Begins to affect who you become. And that's why you can look at people and you can say, they say they're a follower of Jesus. But that's probably the most disgusting, obnoxious person I've ever been around and I don't want to be around. If that, they're a follower of Jesus, does that mean I don't want to be around Jesus? Does that mean I'm going to reject all of Christianity? And many of those people have built this idea of God and become like their idea of God. And it looks nothing like Now, some of us sitting here assume we know what God is like. We're like, I've been in church for a long time. I've been around religion for a long time. I've studied the Bible for a long time. I've gone to seminary or I've gone to school to study the idea or concept of God. And some of you are like, I have no idea what God is like. I'm just exploring the concept of God. I know some of the people watching online, occasionally I get emails and they're like, I don't really know if there is a God, but I like listening to you because you're helping me think through Some of you, when you hear something, you go, that's not right, that's not how God is. This is right, this is how God is. You dismiss and deny certain things because you know how God is. Some of us think that we're the smartest person in the room and um, if we think it, obviously it must be true. Uh, I say that because uh, in my family, there's this running joke that Hanoviches are very arrogant and think they're the smartest people in the room when they're not always the smartest people in the room. And uh, my dad a couple weeks ago he told my brother he wanted to drop out of college. He's he's, he's doing well. He's an average student. My dad says you're ahead of it. You're the smartest person at that college. He's like dad. There's thousands and thousands of people at this college. I am not the smartest person here. There's much smarter people. But sometimes we walk into a room and we're like, what they're saying about God is wrong because I know it. I'm the smartest person here and I figured it out and they haven't. Sometimes I do that when I walk into a room and Darby says. Remember, you don't have it all figured out. Some of you listening may not be even sure there is a God, let alone you know what he's like. But here's what I'm going to ask. As we come to this series over the next few weeks and we talk about what God is, who God is, what he is like, here's what I want you to all do with me. Whether you think you know everything about God or whether you think you know nothing about him, let's all come at it the same. Let's set aside our presuppositions, let's set aside what we know, Because there may be things that we think about God that aren't true, and they may be affecting the way that we live. and Let's set aside what we know, what we think we know, and take a fresh look at who God is. You just wrote down a bunch of things on a piece of paper. Some of those are probably true. Some of those things are probably false. Some of those things you've probably heard and been told a long time, but might not be true. So let's just set all that, what we think we know about God aside, and say, let's come at this thing fresh. Instead of saying, wait a minute, let's just say, who is God? Start fresh. For some of you, you're like, I've uh, been pretty much a fresh start. You know, God's a pretty new concept. For some of you, you've thought about God so long, trying to think about Him in a fresh way is going to be very hard. But many times we get these deep seated presuppositions that we know something. And sometimes we miss what's true because we're holding on so tightly to what we think is true. The very first temptation in the Bible, in this grand narrative poem that kicks off Genesis, in Genesis chapter 3, the enemy of humanity, the devil, tries to convince the first humans to believe a lie about God. And I don't think his, his strategy has changed at all. Now, it's hard sometimes in our naturalistic, scientific way of viewing the world to imagine, like, there's devils and demons in this whole spiritual realm. But it's interesting to me that they're not about, like, overthrowing people with spiritual powers and shooting lightning or something. Instead, they're about getting us to believe lies about who God is. I believe there are forces at work in a realm that we cannot see that exists solely to cause chaos in the human realm, and one of their primary tactics is to get humans to believe lies about who God is. Jesus said, the devil is the father of lies. And they say, he's the father of possessing people, the father of moving tables when people aren't looking, you know, or making things hover in the air and weird, creepy whispers in the night. He's the father of getting you to believe false things about God. And so, Could we not imagine that if there is this powerful supernatural being who works full-time to get people to believe lies about God, isn't it possible that maybe I've believed lies about God, and maybe you believe lies about God, and that there might be some things in our definition of God or our idea of God that is wrong? Now, what this series is not going to do is talk about whether or not there is a God. We could do a whole series on that. We could talk about, like, Is there a God? And I could talk weeks and weeks about that. But to me, that's not the critical question. My question is, if there is a God, what is He like? Because you know what? I can't prove to you whether or not there is a God. So we could talk a lot of things about why I believe there's a God, and that could be useful. But I think it's much more interesting to talk about, if there is a God, what is He like? Because if you tell me, there is a God, I want to tell you about Him, but He doesn't line up with reality, Going to be like, well, I'm not going to believe that. And so, if we describe a God that fits into reality, it makes it much easier to believe that there is such a God. Um, Many times in our community, I encounter people who say they are atheists, that they don't believe in God. But you know what? You and I are atheists about some gods, too. Have you ever thought about this? Like, usually my position is like, well, I believe in God, they don't. We're on opposite sides. But I've started trying to figure out, like, How can I agree with them on some things? Um, They usually start to describe a God that they don't believe in. And what I find very quickly is, that's a God I don't believe in either. Have you ever had this? You sat down with somebody, they said, I'm an atheist. And I'm like, tell me about the God you don't believe in. And they begin describing him. And I'm like, I don't believe in that God either. I don't think that's what God is like. They're like, God is angry. He hates you. He literally just created you because he's a narcissist and he wants you to worship him. not the God that I believe in. I'm like you. I'm an atheist about that kind of God. They always describe a God that I can't believe in because I don't think he's realistic. Sometimes they've created a straw man fallacy to dismiss the idea of God, but often they've been presented an idea of God that doesn't align with reality and therefore should be dismissed. And so you can affirm your atheist friends when they describe a god that doesn't make any sense and say, yeah, that god should be dismissed. You shouldn't believe in such a god. In fact, all of us are atheists when it comes to the Roman gods. How many of you burn some incense for Zeus this week? I didn't because Zeus isn't real. Like, how many of you burn some incense for an Egyptian god? Or an ancient Sumerian god? I, I think probably none of us did. Um, I never want to assume that nobody did, but most of us would say, colleagues, obviously those gods don't exist. But can you understand why your atheist friends believe that our god doesn't exist? There's a lot of gods that we dismiss. Why are we surprised when they dismiss ours? If the god of the Bible, the god of Israel, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is real, we're going to have to explain why he's different from other gods. Because there's a lot of gods that we don't believe in either. So I don't think the question should be, is there a god, isn't there a god? I think we should say, why is this God different if he is different? Like, what would make this God stand out when we say we don't believe in any of these other gods, but we believe in this one? Why did we not simply lump him in with all the others? Um, So the next time your atheist friend says, I don't think there is a God, you can understand that. You can even affirm that. You can say, there's a lot of gods that I don't think there are. There's a lot of gods I don't believe in. But there's something about who this God is that makes me believe in him, even though I don't believe in most gods. And so, what is God? like? If he's different, if he's unique, why do we believe in him and we don't believe in things? So first, let's talk about definitions. When people say God, they're referring to a reality-defining authority that exists on a different plane of existence that overlaps our plane of existence. That's the most technical definition I think I've ever written in a message, but it's hard. Like, how do you build parameters around this concept of God? I'm going to say it again. God is a reality-defining authority that exists on a different plane of existence that overlaps our plane of existence. The Bible, the very first verse, starts with the presumption of God, not the explanation of God. Wouldn't it be great if when you opened up the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, the first verse, the first page of the Bible, and it said, let me tell you something there's another universe beyond this universe. It's another plane of existence. And there is a being there who created all existences and all planes of reality. He knows everything and has all power. He created this plane of existence, and he's created your plane of existence. And I'd be like, okay, this makes sense. Okay, now explain to me who he is and where he came from and all that. And the Bible just, that's not how the Bible is The Bible is just like, in the beginning, God. It just presumes. Now, what's weird about this is, we're Western thinkers. Right? And so when we read a book, we expect the book to build ideas as it goes. You start with a simple concept, you find out more as you go, and by the end you become an expert on the subject. Jewish meditation literature, Eastern meditation literature, wasn't written like this. This is written by a different culture, by a different people, and they write a different way. So when the Bible was written by Jewish people, they wrote with the expectation that you've already read the whole book and you're coming back to read it. He's like, well, that's hard when I'm reading it for the first time. But you have to remember, Jewish children were taught to memorize the entire Old Testament. I can complain about memorizing a verse with darkness sometimes. They memorized the whole Old Testament. They would sing the songs of the Psalms every evening and morning. They would sing them at festivals. And every week they would go and they would read an entire book of the Bible as the community gathered together. And so this was just ingrained to them. Before you were even born, you were hearing the words of the Old Testament. You were hearing the words of the Torah, as the Jewish, um, the Jewish followers of God called it. And so it became so ingrained in them that they couldn't remember a time when they hadn't heard this, a time before they started hearing it. And so when we pick it up, we expect an explanation on page one, but he's like, oh, you're going to have to read the whole thing to get an explanation. And then when you come back, page one's going to make more. But I would love for it to be written in a way that explains God. But he doesn't. He presents to us, the Bible presents to us, this mystery of God. The Bible is written in a way to draw you in and make you ask questions, not in a way to say, let me explain it all for your Western rational minds after the Enlightenment. So, Genesis chapter 1 introduces us to God, right on page 1. It tells us that the story of the Bible is not the story of men. humankind. It is the story of God and his interaction with us. He's um, He's the key protagonist. Now, the Hebrew word translated God on the first page is Elohim. It's a Hebrew word. It's a title, not a name. And it does not mean highest authority. That's what I usually think of when we translate God. But it actually means this spiritual being on another planet. In fact, the word Elohim is sometimes translated judge, or angel, It's sometimes translated Lord or authority. And in the English, they wrestle with this, and they have a hard time translating Sometimes it's cap- translated God with a capital G, referring to the God of Israel. And sometimes it's referred to lesser gods with a lowercase g. And so we see this word used in all these different places. If you read through the story, the God on page 1 later introduces himself as Elohim El Shaddai. The highest of eloquence. He's like, okay, you are a human being. I'm this different type of being, and I'm the highest of this different type of being. You're a terrestrial being. I'm a celestial being. And the two realities overlap. Now in the Christian faith, God has a name. He's not just God but he actually introduces himself to the people of israel in the old testament and he says my name is Y. yeah it's in the english we translate it i am but in the hebrew it's literally y-h-w-h because hebrew does not have that so we don't know how it's actually pronounced because there'd be vowels in there somewhere but most scholars believe that his name is yahweh in the hebrew and so when we think of god he's not just a cosmic force He's not just this big guy and this guy. He has a name, and his name is Yahweh. And over and over again in the Bible, the name Yahweh is translated into the English as Lord God. So when you're reading through the Bible and you see the name, the title Lord God, and you're like, that's a weird thing. Like, you're God and Lord. Like, aren't those the same? Isn't that interchangeable? They chose not to translate it into Yahweh. That's the Hebrew word there used in the text. But they chose to give him a title. Now, for me, that means that I read some of those passages very depersonalized. When he is saying, I, Yahweh, am about to do these things. In English, we read it as, I, the Lord God, am about to do these things. And it reads differently. Like, I don't go around and I say, I, Darby, as your husband, am about to do these things. I'm like, I'm Alex. You have a relationship with me. You know me by name. I'm about to do God is a title, Lord is a title, Yahweh is who he is, it's his name revealed to us. Now, in the Christian faith, God is a community, a triune community of love, joy, and peace. He's three in one, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. You say, Alex, explain that to me. I can't, but I'm going to try later on in this series as we talk about the Trinity. And he longs to know you and be known by you. Now, that's a unique idea as we talk about God and gods in our world and religions. God wants to be known by us, and he wants us to know him. Now, you say, okay, Alex, everything you just said is craziness. Like, this is insane that people believe this, that they wrap their heads around this. I I could see that. We're going to talk more about these ideas and flesh them out as we go through the series. But even if you reject the idea of God, even if you say hogwash that's outlandish that's insane that sounds like mythology that doesn't sound like reality every human being has a space for god in their psyche what do i mean by that I, I, there's like a space in every human being's psyche where they find something to become their authority to help them define reality and make sense of their world think about something somebody that's completely naturalistic i have a friend I have several friends like that but one in particular that i'm thinking of and even though they don't believe there's a God, there's nothing beyond this world, they put something in that God space in their psyche that defines their reality and brings meaning to their lives. They say, this is the thing that helps me understand everything else that's happening in my world. Now, for many people in our culture, um, they might say science. Science helps me know what's real, what's false. It helps me set the parameters for reality, helps bring meaning to my life. There's some people in our lives, in our, in our world, who are like sex. Sex is the highest form of human achievement. It brings parameters to my reality. It brings meaning to my life. But everyone has something that they put into the space that defines their values, meaning, and the parameters of reality. There's Even if you don't believe in God, you have something that rests in a God space in your psyche that helps you make sense of your world. And so, what is God like? If we believe that there's this personal, relational God who wants to have a relationship with us, what is he like? Over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about that and wrestling with ideas like God is Jesus. That's what we're talking about today. God is slow to anger. God is gracious. God is mysterious. God is Yahweh. And some more after that. So all that, you guys are like, I'm done, that's too much. All that was an introduction. I won't go too much longer. This morning, we're going to talk about God is Jesus. And I think this is foundational to everything that comes after this. If you wanna know what God is like, if you wanna know how he treats people, how he loves people, how he behaves, look at the life of Jesus. If someone describes a God that doesn't operate like Jesus, doesn't treat people like Jesus, doesn't talk to people like Jesus, they aren't describing God. This is the filter that I run everyone's idea of God through. If they say something and I'm like, Okay, this doesn't look like Jesus. This doesn't sound like Jesus. It's not God. They've developed a false idea of God. It doesn't matter how many letters follow someone's name, because they've got all these seminary degrees, and they've got all these philosophical degrees. It doesn't matter how wide their smile is or how nice their suit. If they describe a God, a cosmic authority that doesn't act like Jesus, they have a wrong view of in hebrews 1 verses 1 through 3 it says in the past god spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways sometimes they wrote books and we have some of those sometimes they presented messages and some of those have been preserved and some of those we just have oral tradition of and he says, but in these last days in this current time when the book of hebrews is written he's spoken to us by his son whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he also Made the universe. And so back there in Genesis 1-1, when it says God created the heavens and earth, according to Hebrews, that was Jesus creating the heavens and the earth. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Jesus, the sun, is the exact representation of God's being. You want to know what God is like? Look at Jesus. He sustains all things by his powerful word. And after he provided purification for sins, he rescued us and sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Jesus is the exact representation of the being of God. He wasn't like 70%. He's like, I'm mostly what God is like. Look at me, but you know, God also has his anger problem, extra 30%. You know, sometimes when people read through the Old Testament, they're like, man, God is pissed off. And then they look at the New Testament and they're like, God's in love with us. Look, he's laying down his life for us. And they're like, what are these two different views of God? And Hebrew says, if you look at Jesus, he's 100% what God is. Occasionally, I'll read a theologian that describes the way that God operates in our world, and the behavior resembles Zeus more than it does Jesus. Have you ever read any of the Roman myths? And Zeus, he's like, man, I'm having a bad day. I'm going to kill a human. And he's like, I'm having a bad day. I'm going to turn into an animal and sleep with a woman. Like, Jesus is just all over the place. He's like crazy. He's insane. It's like he's bipolar. He's all over the place. And sometimes I'll read a theologian who's trying to talk about the Christian God, and they describe God like he's just all over the place. Jesus is the most clear understanding we have of how God operates and behaves. The writer of Hebrews says, in the old times, God would use these intermediaries to tell us about himself. We're getting second and third hand accounts of what God is like. Prophets would stand up and they'd say, God told me this, I'm telling it to you. And people would be like, okay, so maybe that means God is like this, and we'll try to figure it out. And they had a blurry picture of who God is. Then Jesus shows up and he's like, you can see 2020 now, this is what God is like. I am a 100% representation of what God is. The biblical writers didn't impose this idea on Jesus, and you can take years and years of seminary classes to talk about this. You know, uh, some people say, "Well, Jesus never claimed to be God," but people just added this hundreds of years later in the church when they wanted to deify him. Um, that's really weird to say if you've actually read the Bible. Uh, in John ten verses thirty through thirty-three, Jesus says this in verse thirty: "I and the Father are one." Again, his Jewish opponents picked up stones to kill him. And Jesus says, "Uh, why are you killing me? Is it for all the good things I've done? For which act of good that I've done are you killing me? And they said, we are not stoning you for any good works you have done, but for blasphemy, because you are a man and you claim to be God. The first century readers, the first century audience that Jesus spoke to, seemed to make it pretty clear that Jesus thought he was God. And they didn't like that. They're like, there's only one God. How can you be him? Occasionally, someone will say to me, all religions are the same. I was talking to a Jewish rabbi the other day while I was walking around. I was walking across the street from us as a Jewish school. I started talking to this guy. And uh, he's like, I'm a Jewish rabbi. And I'm like, I'm a Christian pastor. And uh, so we started talking. And he said, well, you know, we all believe the same thing. And I was like, that's an interesting thing." You know, um, And I've talked to some other people who have taken this position and say, you know, all religions really believe the same thing. We're all worshiping God. And that sounds really nice, right? I really like the sound of that. Like, oh, everybody's worshiping God. They're just calling him different things and doing different things. But I have to guard my heart against believing something just because it sounds nicer because I like the sound of it. Do You ever find yourself doing this? I do this sometimes with the idea of God. I'm like, oh, that sounds nice. That must be true. I like that. That must be true. You know when you want to believe something so there's a bias to believe it? This never happens in politics or in news stories or anything like that. But sometimes in theology it does happen where we like the sound of something and so we buy into it even if it doesn't make sense, even if it isn't true. Be careful about building your idea of what God is like around what you'd like to hear or what you would like to be true. Not all religions worship the same no, that's not a very popular idea, but Buddhism says there is not a personal God. There's just a spiritual force at work. He's not relational. You can't have a relationship with him because he's not a person. He doesn't have a name. He's not a being. Hinduism says there are literally billions of gods. And when I was in India a few years ago, I went in a shop where they had just rows and rows of shelves where you could buy little gods for your home. And I was like, which one's this? They're like, hold on. And they had to flip through this book to figure – because he couldn't remember the name because there were millions of gods and each thing has been deified. In fact, when they brought electricity to a, a uh, small village in north northern India, as soon as the first light bulb came on, they worshiped it and deified it as a new god. And they had to explain to them, no, 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 this isn't a new god, this is technology. And uh, so Hinduism. Um, and then Muslims describe a god that operate very differently than Jesus. If we are saying, um, what all religions do say, what all religions do agree on, is that there's more to life than just what we can see, feel, and touch. There's something beyond us. All religions agree on that. But they don't all agree to the same God. They have a similar starting point, but they don't all describe a compatible view of God. Even different branches of the Christian faith paint very different views of who God is. Now... If I were to ask you to describe me, you might say, overweight, big beard, glasses, dark hair, average height, wears flannel too much, is introverted. Um, And you'd be like, yeah, that's (laughs) Alex. Don't be like you're talking about my husband? Yeah, I know him. But if someone were to describe a blonde-haired, blue-eyed, thin, clean-shaven pastor who was tall and wore nice suits and was super extroverted, would you say, oh, yeah, that's Alex? No, they're describing someone radically different than who I am. All the characteristics are different. You would never say, well, they're all describing Alex, they're just describing Alex a little bit differently. They're all trying to convey Alex, just convey him a little bit differently. They're describing a radically different person. So saying all the world religions are talking about the same God South nice because it encourages us all to get along. But the major religions of the world are describing wildly different people. Just one example. Um, for the Muslim. Allah promises virgins to the faithful Muslim man to have sex with in the afterlife forever. Jesus does not promise that. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus invites you to join him as a co-creator in creating a new heaven and new earth that he wants to build with you. That's a very different picture of the next life than our Muslim friends have. These are diametrically opposing views of a divine being and what they see for the future of mankind. Jesus says, I want you to be like me so you can work with me forever. In the Muslim the world, they say, you're going to be brought new wine. And I have the passage here from the Quran if you want to look it up. Um, they will, these virgins will bring you new wine and they will be yours to enjoy for eternity. Very different views of God and what he wants from us. In John 14, verses 6 through 7, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you also know my Father. And from now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. Lord said, Philip, this is one of his apostles, one of his closest followers, show us the Father. Show us God the Father, and that's enough for us. And Jesus said, have I been among you all this time, and yet you do not know me, Philip? The one who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show me the Father? I'm right here. Don't you believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The works... The words I speak to you, I do not speak on my own. The Father who lives in me does his work. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Otherwise, if you can't believe what I'm saying, look at what I'm doing. Believe because of the works themselves. Now, Jesus says a lot in this little passage, so much so we could have just stayed in this passage for the whole series. Jesus, first of all, dismisses the idea that all ways, all ways lead to God not all ideas about god absolutely lead to the one true god jesus says the only way that leads to him is him that's essentially his argument he goes how could always lead to me i am the way that, to get to me because i am the father and the father is me he says how could you go to someone else and say you've gone to me it would be like if darby went up to somebody and said hi husband and it's a random stranger and i'd be like no i'm right here i'm your husband you, you can't go to somebody else and say i'm hugging my husband that's essentially Jesus' argument. How could, you, how could you go to someone else and say you have a relationship with the Father? I am the Father. The only way to have a relationship with me is with me. Very simple logic, um, but they got a hard time with it. Jesus is saying, I am a unique person. I am not a cosmic idea that people take different paths to get to. I am a unique person that wants to have a unique relationship with me. Now, one of the most common complaints I hear about God is, why doesn't he show himself? Maybe you've thought this. Like, God, if you're real, where are you? You seem invisible. You say you want to be known according to the Christian faith. Why don't you just show up? And according to Jesus, he did show up. He showed up as Jesus. He's shown up. He's existed in our world. Jesus says that the result of us seeing him and hearing about what he's done should be belief often people will say something to me like this, I could never believe in a God that, like, maybe you said this, maybe you've this, maybe you've had someone say this, like, <laughs> I could never believe in a God that, and you can throw in the blank with whatever you want. Now that's an interesting statement, because you and I don't get to define what reality is based on what we want to believe in. I don't want to believe in a country like North Korea, that imprisons its people and it just randomly launches missiles and threatens to launch missiles all the time. I don't want to believe in that. That doesn't make North Korea go away, though. Like, I don't get to define the reality of whether or not there is a nation like North Korea. I wish it didn't exist. And we can say that. I wish you didn't have a God that does blank. But we can't say, I'm not going to believe in a God that does blank. Now, sometimes people will say to me, I can't believe in a God that would just destroy someone's life like this. And they'll describe an example. And I say, yeah, I couldn't believe in a God like that either. Um, could you believe in a God like Jesus? Sometimes somebody will describe a God that looks nothing like Jesus. And I'll say, what if God was Jesus? What if Jesus was God? What if he loved his enemies so much so that he would die for them? What if he would say, oh yeah, if your enemy does something, pray for them. don't no destroy them. What if God was like Jesus? Could you believe in that God? Like, that's a God that's very easy for me to believe in. Like." God Jesus forgives the broken, messed up people. He hangs out at parties with sinners and outcasts. He heals the sick and restores the marginalized. He rebukes the self-righteous and the arrogant. He speaks to power and corruption without fear. I think it's easy to believe in God if Jesus is God. But for many people, it's easy to believe in God because anyone can believe in God and then redefine God to mean whatever they want. And we have, I think, many, many people across our nation and in our world who say, oh yeah, I believe in God, and then I've created the idea of what God is in my mind so that I can continue treating people as poorly as I'd like. Here's the question we have to ask. Do you believe Jesus? Believe is more than saying yes in your mind like, I believe there was a man named Jesus. He was a Jewish rabbi who was destroyed by the Roman Empire. All those things are historical, and many historical accounts tell us there was a real man named Jesus and there became this movement of the Christian church after his death because they were going around insisting that he was alive, and many of them giving their life. It's more than saying that you just think he was God. Now, he was either God, or he was a liar, or a lunatic, because he kept saying he was God, right? So either Jesus was crazy, and he thought he was God, and he wasn't, or he was a liar, and so he was like, I know I'm not God, but I'm going to tell everyone I am, or maybe he really was But believing in him is more than that it is saying that you think his way of life is the best way to live it is saying you think he really knew what he was talking about and when he invites us into a relationship with him he's inviting us into a relationship with a being who has existed before our world so you say alex this message was long it was complicated it was like Trying to absorb a fire hydrant's worth of uh, seminary in 35 minutes. And uh, what in the world are we supposed to do with this? Well, first of all, I encourage you to read one of the biographies of Jesus this week. And that's not like you go to Amazon and you order it. Um, this book's called Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're found in your Bible, they're also found online. Read one of them. And don't read part of it, just read the whole thing. Mark's the shortest, so if you're like, I don't have a lot of time. Read right through it. Um, Luke's the longest, so maybe if you're like, I have a lot of time, you want to read through that one. John's my favorite because John's very poetic. Each of them write differently. God, as he, uh, according to our Christian tradition, God leads along the writers as they write the Bible, but he doesn't overwrite their personalities in their writing style. And John is very poetic, and so he uses all this poetic imagery, and I'm a word nerd, so I love John. But read one of them. And here's what I want you to think about. Does this line up with my idea about who God is? Does Jesus behave in a way that dismantles what I think about God? Every time I read the stories of Jesus, he says things, even though I've read it many times, and I'm like, ah, do you really mean that? Like, are you really telling me to live this way? Are you really saying this to this person? Look at how he behaves, how he operates, who he loves, who he says is in, who he says is that. Number two, um, the word God doesn't really mean anything to us anymore because everybody has redefined it to mean what they want. And when you talk to someone in a big city like Philadelphia, when you say God, they could be thinking of not only thousands of variations of the Christian God, but they could also be thinking of thousands of other ideas about the cosmic authority. So I started trying to do this one. I use the name Jesus. Because there's a lot less uh, confusion about who he is and how he operates. And so instead of saying, I believe in God, I say, I believe in Jesus. I'm a follower of Jesus. I try to live and love like Jesus. I think that Jesus showed us how to live and love. God can mean anything and very often does, but Jesus is specific. And you'll see sometimes in some conversations, when I say God, people are like, okay, good. I can reframe that in my mind however I want, and so I don't care that you say God. But then you say Jesus, and they are like, oh, snap. Now they're getting really specific. Now they're talking about someone who I actually have to fit their definition, fit someone else's definition beside my head. Number three, take some time to ask God to challenge your presuppositions about who he is and what he is like. I've spent most of my adult life studying Christian thinkers and writers and going to school to understand theology, the study of Theo, God you know what i find many times i have incomplete or tainted or broken ideas about what god is like and i have to go back to the life of jesus and say jesus is the clearest picture of who god is and what he's like have i developed incomplete broken ideas about what god is like and so i ask god correct my wrong view of who you are and what you're like don't let me believe lies about who you are and what you are like and how you behave but let me see you clearly so i can serve And finally, take some time to really think through when you think an idea about God, is this idea true? Take some time to dismantle lies because they don't dismantle quickly. Dallas Willard, one of the greatest thinkers, he was a philosophy teacher out in California, um, but I think he's one of the greatest Christian thinkers of modern times. He said, never believe anything bad about And this quote, more than anything else, is something that I've wrestled with over and over again because I have a tendency to believe the lies of the enemy and say, it's God's fault that this happened. It's God's fault that it worked like this. It's God's fault. And I begin to look at God as a source of evil instead of the source of everything good. I begin to look at God as if he's an antagonist instead of looking at him. That's Jesus. And what do I see Jesus doing? He steps in the way of hurting people and he dies in their place. sacrifices everything to rescue us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for this challenge to my heart to re-examine how I see you. Jesus, I pray that you give us a clear picture of who you are and what you're like. That you dismantle this idea of God that we've developed really over a lifetime in our culture and in our families, um, that are society has shouted at us That churches have shouted at us and lord that we'll just go back and say who is jesus that we'll have a relationship with you where you can teach us day by day what you're like but also as we open up these stories these first-hand accounts of what you were like and how you lived and how you treated people and lord i pray that you will reform our minds you'll get us to rethink what god is like and that we'll have such a clear view of jesus who know what it looks like to live and love life. I pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ.